0: The following is a presentation of the Retro Network.
1: Hello, Sequel Questers. This is a Sequel Quest Rewind. Diving back into the archive to January of 2018, this is episode 65, a most excellent Bill and Ted sequel.
2: Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff,
1: and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now.
2: Mister, strange things are afoot on the Sequel Quest podcast. I am Adam M. Pope Esquire, and this is Jeff Jeffrey Campbell-Smith, and together we are
3: Wild Podcasters! Wild Podcasters. Oh, so close.
2: (laughs) Allow us to introduce you to our most non-non-non-non-heinous co-host, Jeremy.
1: Excellent. (laughs)
0: you can't not do
2: that noise we are totally ready to have a most excellent discussion about bill and ted's excellent adventure from 1989 and bogus journey from 1991 so let's party on dudes We have a special guest for us tonight that Jeff and I actually had to travel the circuits of time to bring back from our high school days. She's a comedian and director in Los Angeles who's been known to perform with the Groundlings, Upright Citizens Brigade, created content for ScreenJunkies.net, and continues to entertain worldwide. Welcome the totally bodacious and Brashear!
0: thanks guys
2: how's it going in
0: hi i'm very excited to be here
2: oh we are glad that you have decided to <laughs> join us and in fact i i think it's important that we uh, preface this by saying back in high school, Jeff and I were part of a independent spirit squad for our school sports, and we painted our faces, wore wacky costumes, and my bit back then was I would take off my shirt and slap my belly. So I said, you know what, Ann's a friend, she's cool, let me see if I can embarrass her Republic in and invite her to a dance. So we all got out there at the half during a basketball game, and each of the guys had a part of a question painted on their chest. So everybody ripped off their shirts and go to with or formal with and then i finally got to mine with pope written across my belly did a little jiggle slap and she happened to say yes. so we had some fun thank you
1: you truffle shuffled yeah
3: yeah it should be pointed out back in high school adam was a rather more substantial sized fellow than he is now so that was a much more grand gesture
0: <laughs> a very sweet gesture
3: Sorry.
2: oh yes but, Anne, I'm just curious, for you, in your daily life, you do, you've done stand-up, you've done all sorts of performance. Is there a particular production you're most proud of?
0: Wow, um, that is a great question. I, oh, you know, probably putting together, so I worked for the Screen Junkies for two years, the guys who host movie fights and write honest Love movie it. trailers. Yeah, it was a blast. So I was the project manager overseeing the first big event they did at Comic-Con and for three days and three nights hosted panel after panel of the Family Guy writers and the cast of Orphan Black. Yeah. Just, tons and tons of talent coming through yeah that was really really epic I mean, it's an incredible feeling to like throw a huge party and have people show up and talk about movies and leave feeling excited we had to set up everything for a kevin smith movie screening and then like you're his liaison for the night making sure he gets all that he needs and like talk to him about movies and
2: make sure his hockey jersey is dry cleaned yes we so understand true.
0: all that jazz
2: it's <laughs> great well speaking of- screen junkies as we were prepping for this episode i was searching youtube for a video about keanu reeves i knew that he had leaked some plot details in early 2017 and so i'm going on youtube i'm looking around and i'm like oh okay Oh, looks like there's going to be a little commentary on this. There's a panel of three ladies here who seem to be huge Bill and Ted fans. And as I'm looking at the panelists, I'm like, one of them looks very familiar. <laughs> and I'm watching the video and I'm about five minutes in. I'm like, that's Anne.
0: Which is great because I was a producer the whole time. So I was honestly never on camera except as we were pitching for what we were going to talk about. I brought up my premise. So I'll kind of do the lead in, I guess, because I work pretty evenly in film and theater. And so a few years ago, there's a great group where they recreate Point Break as a stage play. And it's very interactive and it's supremely goofy because I'm just a fan of you can capture the spirit of a big movie on a stage in an exciting way. I think that's a really fun. Yeah, there's some movies that just have music deeply at their heart. Someday I will figure out how to stage both The Big Lebowski as a musical and also Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because one, I think you can capture the water park at San Dimas like on stage. How great is that? Um, The whole ice cream eating scene like it's just a movie with so many fun pieces and it. it's about a band. Make a musical. It's a no brainer.
2: Again, you already talked in the Screen Junkies video for anybody yeah. who wants to check that out. We'll link to it. But that was a very exciting revelation that you had a love for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I understand you've only seen the first film. Is that right?
0: Yeah. You know, I'm going to be honest, actually. I'm not a sequel person.
2: Oh, but controversial I, for this show.
0: I know. I know. <laughs> (laughs) Because I will say, like, I love the Indiana Jones movies in as much as they are sequels. I don't know. I think that's maybe debatable, right? I think that's one of the few instances for me where each movie feels like it really stands on its own. And I'm a huge James Bond fan. And I feel like none of those are really sequels. They're just all movies in the same universe about the same organization and the same sort of lead spy. But I think, you know, the, the movie world we grew up in saw so many derivative sequels where it just felt like the cash grab was so obvious and you get such a half-baked derivative version of the movie. So I'd rather see a great parody of a movie. I'd always rather see young Frankenstein than I would want to see Frankenstein, the sequel, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Although I contest that Bride of Frankenstein, better film than the original.
0: Yeah. I mean, think sequels are really hard to do. You know, it's very hard to continue a world. There's so much expectation baked into that. And it behooves the storyteller to go bold with the sequel and i think hollywood is not necessarily a business environment that celebrates going bold
2: we'll see tonight we'll see how bold we get with our pitches but i'm curious to hear kind of around the horn as far as bill ted's excellent adventure 1988 released by orion pictures one of my favorite 80s movie studios but what is everybody's first exposure to bill and ted's excellent adventure jeremy i
1: guess in my teens is where i kind of fell into these so like early 2000s These Are you were 12 already yeah. <laughs> no not quite just turned 30 uh... oh,
0: all right. welcome
1: <laughs> yeah so like a decade after they came out so i wasn't real big into them well
2: i was gonna ask that who was your slacker buddy combo i mean were you beavis and butthead guy uh no
1: actually like tommy boy was the movie
0: for sure good yes. choice
1: like it was one that didn't matter when it came on or when i threw it in i'd sit there and watch it and you know all the others that kind of sprinkled in around there wayne's world all of those extraneously snl
3: type movies jeff i think it felt like it was almost pre-teenage mutant ninja turtles but somewhat similar that vibe it was right around the time and i think that's one of the things why bill and ted's resonated as big. It was right at the time where everyone thought, whether you were from California or not, even in California, they thought talking like a valley girl was really, really funny. And so Mm -hmm. everyone was, that's hilarious. Like that was just what everybody was doing. And so to make a movie about these two airhead guys, it's kind of an interesting trope, I guess. But is it one that you watched a lot growing up? Yeah, I watched it, but it was not really one of my favorites. I feel like with the time that it came out, it was a little too old for me. I mean like all the things talking about like studying for a history exam, I was like, I don't really know what that is. So it didn't quite resonate with me. And then by the time I got older, it felt very dated.
2: You know, I, I don't remember seeing the first movie in theaters, but I definitely watched it on home video many times. A few years back, I took advantage of the fact that I live in Arizona. And though the Bill and Ted universe is very fixed in San Dimas, California, the first film was actually in Arizona is where they were filming everything. And so I was able to go out and visit the filming locations for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in definitely linked to that article on social media, but it was so crazy to go around, to go to the bowling alley where Napoleon got thrown out, the actual Circle K where the phone booth landed you know, and stand on that hallowed ground if you've (laughs) held the film in such high esteem as I have for all these years. A lot of the things have changed a little bit aesthetically, but it still feels the same. And on the article, there's actual photo comparisons of before and after. But the second movie, Bogus Journey was almost a bigger deal to me. That was the first movie that my older brother took me with him to the theater to see. That was a major bonding experience for us. The other thing about Bogus Journey is, do you guys remember the scene when they go to heaven and they yes. mug some guys that take their clothes? They beat Death in this scene where they actually have to play board games and the battleship and Clue and Twister and everything else.
1: And Death has never lost, and so he keeps going... Okay, well, two out of three, three out of five, (laughs) five out of seven, and continuously losing to these two knuckleheads.
2: Yeah. And so I actually ended up in a production in 1991, just a few months after the movie came out at this daycare I went to after school. It was all run by college students. And one of them wrote a play called It's Only on TV, which is basically that John Ritter movie, Stay Tuned, if anybody remembers that, but on stage with six to 10 year old kids. And there was basically these kids jumping channel to channel. And at one point they end up meeting death for Bill Ted's bogus journey played by so we reenacted we did a full parody of everything doing the battleship doing the clue doing the twister you know and they win their freedom by beating death so uh, another personal connection for me and then finally when they go to heaven after beating him because they need to find somebody who can help them defeat the evil robot us's my piano teacher's son is the one who plays Ben Franklin in heaven so I remember going to my piano lessons and she's like did you see that bill and ted movie yes my son he's ben franklin i'm like oh that's how so old nice. was your piano teacher she was pretty old man <laughs> i mean if you look at the guy the guy in the movie is 40 you know so yeah. she was at least you know 60 <laughs> but how about for you ann
0: i love this movie so much and i'm a sucker for time travel and for me this movie isn't Exactly up there with Back to the Future, but it's in the same family. And it does the weird high school sci fi thing in a way that few other movies do or did at that time. You know, if you look at it standing up against a breakfast club or a lot of the John Hughes movies, which are so grounded in reality that this movie takes such a crazy huge turn. And as a sci fi person, I am not an Aliens VFX loving person. So I enjoy the philosophical, like, you know, the, the philosophical challenges of what would you do if you were given the chance to redirect history? And what ramifications does that have? Um, and what is your part in history? You know, I think it's in some ways really comparable to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead.
3: Okay, hang on, hang <laughs> on. Because that's the thing, too. That's one of the issues that I have with this is that it feels like there isn't that. They don't change history. They kidnap all of these famous people and nothing changes. Right. There's no consequence. Yeah. They seem to be able to manipulate time however they want and there's absolutely no consequences for doing it. George
0: Carlin is magic, you guys. And he's able to. The key is that they change themselves, you know? And that, I think, is the incredible part is that you take these slackers who are without a real click and are, you know, on the fringes of what's cool and what's appropriate. And they don't fit into anything. And they're very much outsiders and don't know what they're going to do and sort of have this hapless, half-formed dream and no one believes that they'll be able to realize it. And then they're given this opportunity because it really, I don't know, when I think of this movie and I think about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's like he's hapless in his own way too. And the thing that sets Bill and Ted's adventure apart for me is that they have this really clear goal and a time mandate that isn't just like Ferris Bueller's day off is his goal is literally avoid having any responsibility and nothing about him as a person changes and Bill and Ted completely go through an emotional and perspective change <laughs> in the
2: movie well they, they, are, they, they are very aware of their deficiencies right they're like they have the whole conversation about needing to get Eddie Van Halen in the band because they can't play their instruments, they
0: were like, can't but, play their instruments
2: but, but they can't then do a, an excellent music video in order to get Eddie Van Halen to want to be in the band it's they're, they're in a conundrum but they're aware of that so that, yes, they it's take full advantage. goal-oriented.
3: <laughs> so wait, hang on. Now, it's been a while. T- to be honest, I didn't get a chance to watch it in preparation, so you'll have to cl- clue me in here. But now, I was under the impression that they themselves didn't personally change, but everybody else's perspective about them changed because they put on the world's greatest history project. Am I remembering this wrong? They actually changed their character? Well, ultimately, well, they're a little more have- confident, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's like, they go from being hapless to suddenly deciding that this is their, their opportunity to show the world that they're not just losers who can't get anything done.
2: Yeah, like and when you mentioned, you know, the John Hughes films, and even thinking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, another big '80s high school film. But I almost feel like Bill and Ted are like, what if you cloned Spicoli? You know, and you just kind of split him in two, <laughs> and then you then there's your Bill and Ted there. But what makes them different? I feel like is yes, they're slackers and they're delusional. In, you might say what they want to achieve and yet they're so positive throughout the films both films it's just they're such nice guys and even when they're telling each other to shut up you know it's in such an innocent way that you know you never feel any type of like real negativity coming out of them and I think that's what endears us to the characters I think that's why people have been waiting so long and that's why when Alex Winter or Keanu Reeves get interviewed they still get asked that question <laughs> because it just it warms your heart to see these friends that really are friends
1: it's kind of the
3: eternal optimist are they optimistic or are they just oblivious yeah well there's some of both they don't seem to have yeah. any clue what they're doing and let's be honest if we're talking about alex winter What else does he really have going on? I mean, if they don't bring back Bill and Ted, what (laughs) else is he doing?
2: Well, he's a documentarian now, and he's actually done several pretty cool documentaries. documentaries. Yeah, about Napster and among other things. So check out his documentaries. But at the same time, you're right. Acting-wise, he stepped away from that quite a while ago. And, you know, Keanu is... Making his way back, I guess. And was he ever really gone? But yes, sort yeah. of. I don't know. Well, it demand you, as much?
3: Like my thought is, and the funny thing, like you brought up about Point Break. Point Break. I feel like if it was up to Keanu Reeves, that's what he wanted his statement movie to be. Here comes this new kid. Look at what he can do. He can act with Patrick Swayze. Give me all the roles. But instead, it was this movie that defined him. And if you ask me, that really put a hamper on his career, really until the Matrix rediscovered him. My guess is I don't have any statistics or evidence to prove this. (laughs) The reason he decided to take the horrible job, with the horrible performance in Frankenstein, was to prove that he was not Still Bill and Ted. Wait,
2: which Frankenstein? With Robert De Niro was Frankenstein? Oh, Frankenstein I'm sorry, Dracula. Oh, oh Dracula. okay, I was going to say, yeah.
3: <laughs> and he's the really horrible, uh, what's his name? Renfeld. Oh, uh, I mean, are
0: you sure that he's not just trying to make a interview with the vampire Brad Pitt? I mean... Well, when he was trying to vampires like vampires are hot. They're just hot. He
3: was so. trying. It was <laughs> the same thing he did. What was that one? Walk in the clouds. Oh, was yeah. it walk in the clouds? One of them's Mandy Moore, and one of them was <laughs> a walk to remember, man There you Moore. go. Walk to remember. <laughs> and uh, Why uh, I they didn't go very well. But it was like it felt like because if you ask me, every, even when I went to go see Matrix, I went, oh, it's the guy from Bill and Ted's. Like that hung with me because he was so perfect in this role, and it was sad because. Even like every other role I see him in, I'm, I see shades of Bill and Ted. Even with Matrix, I feel like they cast him because they like, well, we want Neo lost and confused the entire time. And they oh, okay, let's get Keanu Reeves.
0: Oh, I just want him to eventually, like Alec Baldwin, embrace his comedic side again and just do comedies. Like, that's what I really want for Keanu Reeves. I want him to be okay doing dumb comedy
2: again. So the second film to me, just like, even it's been stated, you know, you want something a little more out there, a little bit more
3: cartoony. It was.
1: And I'm guessing... Jeff, you haven't seen the sequel in quite a while.
3: To be honest, I'm not sure that I've ever actually seen the sequel. I remember
1: seeing lots of posters. Do you remember the robots?
3: No. Oh, okay. I remember the posters with the two of them and death, and I was like, what is this? And I think I was just not into it. It is important though, that we fill you in. So in the sequel, where five years
1: later they propose to the princesses, and all of a sudden there's a coup d'etat in the future... And the guy taking things over was Rufus's former gym teacher.
2: Chuck Denomalos. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So he created some robots of Bill and Ted and sent them back into the past to kill Bill and Ted and to ruin their lives so that the future never comes to pass. Wild Stallions never comes to pass. And it'll completely rewrite history is essentially what he's trying to do. So the robots come back. They successfully kill Bill and Ted. And at that point, Bill and Ted have to escape death by playing board games and fight through heaven and hell to get back to Earth and create robots of their own in order to take out robot Bill and Ted and then play the show of their lives and essentially kick off the worldwide religion of wild stallions? I gotta say, it doesn't
3: feel like I missed anything.
2: Oh, you truly did. The sequel improves on the original, if I can say so. Just Ah. in terms of outlandishness. We said, be bold, Anne. It is out there in in a major way. I mean, it, it was the jumping off point, actually, for a lot of other bill and ted properties
3: there was a cartoon show wasn't there i seem to remember that and the coolest thing about it bill and ted's excellent
2: adventures (laughs) it actually was voiced by alex winter keanu reeves and george carlin they all were doing the voices on that cartoon which is pretty amazing that's like how committed they were to the characters now it actually it actually ended up changing production companies for the second season and the weird thing about this is in addition to the cartoon there was also a live action tv series so their adventures did continue in live action it's just pretty much nobody saw it because I'm almost certain it played on Saturday afternoons on Fox. It was a Fox TV show in the early days and none of the original cast was there except I think Missy appeared in like the pilot episode. (laughs) But the guys who played Bill and Ted in the live action show then went on to do the voices in the second season of the cartoon. So it's just interesting how like they really were trying to keep Bill and Ted alive. I mean, they even, did a whole uh, line of action figures. I assume probably never ran across those. No. No. It was a band. You had Bill and Ted with their guitars, Genghis Khan on drums. You had Abraham Lincoln on keyboards, and Death on bass. It was a really weird series and I vaguely remember seeing them, but it wasn't anything where I was just like, why would I play with these? What what do you (laughs) mean Maybe they had the phone booth, they had play sets. They even had a thing where you could plug the figures into an amp and then play Wild Stallion's music through the amp? And then they would move their arms back and forth. It was pretty elaborate, but it just, why? Well, if they could get Bill and Ted 3 made, it's not anything they're technically ashamed of. They've been behind it, tried to get it produced. Why it hasn't, many reasons, I guess. Let me let me ask you this then. Do you feel like Bill and Ted has endured In terms of just its effect on pop culture like is it something that you come across
3: i don't think so i don't think anybody younger than 32 knows anything about bill and ted boom mic drop yeah
1: (laughs) i've made more bill and ted references this week mostly through memes and gifs but
3: no you don't really hear it Well, and even Wayne's World. I don't think. I think Wayne's World is the same thing. I don't think anybody who wasn't around when those movies came out knows anything about Wayne and Garth. My guess is that if. uh, Bill and Ted's came out today, there would be enough of a groundswell of people going, oh, yeah. And then, you know, like the millennials asking, yeah, what is this all about? Oh, it's like a retro thing. And I think, yeah, it would go it would go well, I think. Yeah, well, and I,
2: I feel like it's, it's a film series that still, to my knowledge, at least the first one, plays on TV quite a bit. Like, even when I would do Google searches, it would literally come up with time and channel that it's playing on. So, like... <laughs> Like, it's still around. It's still available. And, like, I even, I mean, I don't know if this is a sign of the lack of remembrance or reverence for Bill and Ted, but I was just on Twitter and I'm sure the algorithm saw my interest in Bill and Ted. And I got this thing that popped up from Shout Factory a few years ago for the 25th anniversary. They released this big. Blu-ray, you know, double set, both films, plus a third disc with like so many interviews and behind the scenes things. It comes with a Rufus doll, comes with bumper stickers, it comes with all the stuff. And originally it was like 80, 90 dollars. And they're like, we're liquidating them, 25 bucks, you know, so I got a great deal. I'm so excited it'll be here next week. But it's one of those things I was like, oh, so nobody bought it you know like it's been sitting in a warehouse and they finally just dropped the price you know and maybe that is why a third film hasn't been made as much as again there's maybe that cult following for them even with keanu reeves and john wick and everything else that he's getting good reviews for like they just don't have the cachet anymore maybe there was a time and maybe we've pushed past it already we missed that opening for them but why don't we get into that let's get into the pitches
0: and again, I tend to not be a sequel person. I'm a much bigger fan of the spin-off. So for me, I would love to see who Rufus helps next. And I realize that's an impossibility because we can't get George Carlin back. And I, I will also throw out there that I think this is one of those early 80s movies that really manages to use the older comedian and Introduce that comedian to a whole new audience uh, in a really, really great way.
1: Do you have potentially an alternate casting?
0: Oh. Ooh, this is going to be a crazy recasting, but I'd almost go most death.
3: Oh, I like it.
0: Most death because of his role in the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the Martin Freeman Mm. one. So, you know, what it would be like to have someone like Chappelle or Chris Rock to get someone that has still really deep comedy roots? Because I think that's just such a fun requirement to explore what the life of Rufus is like and what that world of, you know, almost guardian angels, just like, it's a wonderful life. You know, you get to really explore that side of the story. Um, And so who those other two hapless people would be, whether that's, you know, I tend to be someone who pushes really hard for diversity in in a in a sequel or a spin-off or a reimagination. So who are the stoner high school girls or, like, the better, funnier version of two broke girls? And, you
3: know... <laughs> or uh, Danny Pudi from...
0: Oh, oh, Donald Glover and Danny Pudi! Donald Pudy. Glover! Oh, my God, that'd be amazing!
3: Wow! Oh
0: if literally there was a community movie... Yes! But it was- In fact, that is a great premise.
3: (laughs) It seems like something that their characters would love. They would probably do anyway on the show.
2: Troy and Abed's Excellent Adventure. Love it.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, and it's definitely not Chris Rock. It's Chelsea Peretti. She's (laughs) Rufus.
1: Done.
0: 100%. That is the sequel.
1: There we go. We can explain that Rufus is a title more than a name. Oh, Just there you go. <laughs> like 007. Yeah. It's an
0: acronym. It stands for something revolutionary right. undercover forward thinking revisionist. Gr- oh,
3: no, that's great. Like radical underling for I right. don't know. radical united front future for...
1: Uses. <laughs> yeah. Radical undercover future Uses.
2: <laughs>
3: I declare. I
2: love that idea. And yet, you're saying that it in terms turns the camera around on Rufus, maybe more so, like he, his struggle, his dilemma, why he's tied up sure. with these people, why they matter.
0: Yeah, what's his level of responsibility? What are his frustrations? And, you know, I love a good world-building exercise of like, what's his workplace like? And what does he have to <laughs> <laughs> does he clock in? How many hours, how long has he been doing this job, you know, or she? It's um, all told so from yeah.
1: Rufus's point of view.
0: yeah
2: Yeah, the rufus Uh i love it i I almost think that'd be an awesome just title for it the rufus (laughs) yeah bill
3: and ted story jeff mine would take place the next school year after bill and ted you know are a big deal they conquered the school or whatever with their amazing history project and now like they're the big people on campus and the wild stallions are a big thing and i'm kind of proceeding as if the second one never actually happened. Or maybe that's an alternate reality, dream sequence. Maybe they undo that somehow through time travel, whatever. So anyway, so yeah, they're and they're kind of enjoying their their popularity. But I would kind of think like Ted might be kind of feeling like it's got to be about the music or something like that. There's a little bit of conflict between Bill and Ted. and uh, And then one day they're in history class. And as they're in history class, they're studying one of the historical figures that they met in the first one. And they read something that even though they didn't really notice what was going on a whole lot, but something that they talked to like Napoleon about doesn't fit with what they're reading like like not at all like maybe it talks about napoleon gave up and and decided to go into knitting or something ridiculous like that Uh, and so uh napoleon the tailor exactly napoleon became a tailor so then they kind of rush to the library and they look up the other historical figures that they interacted with, and they see the same thing happening. Right then, they're heading home trying to figure out what's going on, and then the phone booth appears, and Rufus gets out and says, somebody from the future like, went rogue, and they decided that the Wild Stallions were the wrong way to go, so what they decided to do is they went back into history to mess up everything that the Wild Stallions did, trying to blame them for mucking around with time and uh and so then the future is being altered and blah blah blah. so rufus shows up and says you guys need to go back with me or you need to go back to put back everything right you know talk to your buddies from history and get them back again so they do they go back to each one of those and that's where i would kind of think the hijinks would ensue where they would go and meet you know all these historical figures in ridiculous situations like napoleon the tailor and genghis khan is like a window washer, or a horse manure shoveler. I don't know, just all sorts of silly stuff. And then along the way, they would run into the renegades. I kind of like what Anne was saying with this whole idea of like, maybe they have to pick hapless people from the 80s. So they pick two other hapless teenagers but the way they battle each other is through their time jumping where like in the first one where Bill would be like remember drop a bucket on his head but then the other people would do it too so it would go back and forth but ultimately Bill and Ted would end up putting right everything that's supposed to be right and then I would think for some reason not really that much explanation but just the end would have to end with like a giant pool party with all of these historical figures showing up in the pool and then somebody throws Benjamin Franklin in and oh, his knickers are wet or whatever. <laughs> so it is the end of Encino Man. It's, just yeah, it's true, well, except for with historical figures. Yes, of course, oh, it's very different. Right. And Not Napoleon turns man. out to be the guy who's like throwing water balloons or, oh. that was one of the things I liked about the first one is that it did like, Having these historical figures in silly situations, because you never think about Napoleon. Did Napoleon eat ice cream? Wasn't that a thing? Sure did. Yeah, and so Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy, and to have like, yeah, like maybe Genghis Khan has never drank out of a glass before, and so all these glasses, he doesn't know what to do with it.
2: What I find interesting, Jeff, is you know you haven't seen Bogus Journey, so this is almost like you've taken the first film. And the second film and mash them together. It's like, let's Perfect. just, let's reboot, let's redo it, but like take yeah. these premises from both and put them together. So that's really interesting that that's where you took it. But I, I like that idea that you have to almost deal with of what you did in time travel
3: in a way, you know, like. Right, which is like, what we talked about. Like, yeah, in that first yeah. one, that's kind of that funny thing is that, and we talked a little, little bit about it with like some of our other time travel podcasts or, or what, like Back to the Future and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, is the different ways that they deal with time and like it's you know always a contradiction whatsoever but bill and ted has this very again that thing where somehow changes in time immediately happen like the drop in the bucket and all of that even though he hasn't done it yet but he will and blah 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 and so it's very vague i mean it's not very sciencey so it can be just silly yeah
2: it's more about the jokes okay cool jeremy give it to us
1: all right, so we will kick this movie off, and we start following Ted throughout his day. And something just feels off. Like, he's not kind of his stoner look. He's very prim and proper, very business attire. And so we start following him, and he gets in his car and heads off to work. And then we also follow Bill, and he's got a similar look, but it just doesn't feel like we're in the right universe, almost. Something is off and the audience knows it but we're following two separate stories the guys and we're waiting for them to intersect but they don't we follow them and they end up at rival office businesses now the audience is trying to figure out well why don't they work together because they normally work at the same company they do something to be together like they worked at that stupid hot dog shack or whatever together because they could spend time together and it's at this point where in pops a newer Rufus type, Kenny and Keith Lucas. There are a couple comedians, twin brothers, and one of them pop into each of the boys. Well, not boys. They're 40-something-year-old men at this point. And we see it side-by-side where the twins are telling them, someone has gone back in time and changed your past you guys broke up, it's almost as though you never existed as Wild Stallions. So now they are at odds with each other, like a band feud. And so when they get together, there's this angst, there's this tension between them, like Bill did Ted wrong or Ted did Bill wrong. And there's something there. It's tangible. You can feel the tension. And taking over for Rufus would be Jim Gaffigan would kind of be the main Rufus guy. And these other twins, the Lucas brothers, they're like working for him to try to reconnect bill and ted and fix the past to fix the future and so they would have to go on a little time travel adventure together to collect the greatest detectives throughout history to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it
2: okay so it's more about these new guys that are working for rufus as opposed to bill and ted bill and ted are just kind of the the catalyst for it all for their adventure So you're kind of rebooting in a way
1: I kind of rebooted, but it focuses on our Bill and Ted, but it's just introducing more layers to, I guess, the the Rufus chain of command because we don't have Carlin anymore. So Mm -hmm. we have to explain that away somehow. Maybe it's a title passed on as we were discussing with Anne.
2: Okay. All right. Well, mine, we all seem to kind of be flowing in a a similar vein, but mine is called Bill and Ted's Radical Quest. Wild Stallions that are now joined by a grown little Bill and little Ted in the band have been touring for 25 years. uh, And in their off time, they've kind of slowly been crafting the ultimate tune, the one that's supposed to bring peace to the universe and unite the world in the wild stallions philosophy and the dudes believe that they've succeeded but just before they can reveal it to the world their demo tape goes missing and the song is gone from their memories and they don't know why they can't figure it out so Just then Bill and Ted are visited by Rhonda, the daughter of Rufus, who tells them that the future has been altered and that Wild Stallions did not change the universe for the better. Instead, another group called Overlord, uh sorry, Overload, recorded the number one universal hit and have oppressively made the focus of the world about being excellent to the band and their lead singer Craig, rather than goodwill between people. Rufus was the only one who knew the truth and was exiled for his heresy, setting Rhonda back to help dudes to correct the timeline, suspecting that it was Overload who surfed the circuits of time to steal the demo tape. She tells the dudes that this is not the first time in history that someone has taken credit for another's creation, but they can set the record straight, restore peace to the future. So while trying to travel to the day where they finished writing the ultimate tune, Bill and Ted are attacked at the circuits of time and the phone booth is destroyed and it strands them in 1876 America where they meet a brilliant but bitter inventor named Elisha Gray who was submitting a patent for the talking telegraph aka the telephone but was beaten to the punch by Alexander Graham Bell. So he complains about his lack of credit Gray reveals his plans for his other invention, the musical telegraph or synthesizer which the dudes start tinkering with and create new rocket riffs on while they're trying to figure out what to do. Just then in a flash of electricity, a man appears who introduces himself as Nikola Tesla and saying he has traveled back in time from 1920 while he was working on some chronal experimentation and he recounts how his alternating current and radio wave breakthroughs sabotaged or sold by others but it was never about the money it was just about the thrill of discovery so meanwhile in the future Overlord is dealing with an uprising of rebellious fans complaining about the fact that the band has not released any new tunes in 25 years they're still riding off the high and the credit of their infamous song that united the world supposedly Craig then sends out a universe wide message promising a free concert to debut Overlord's new album which quells the uprising for now we also learned that Craig is married to Missy, because of course he is. Now, Bill and Ted recruit Nick and Eli, as they call them, to help fix the future, as Tesla works at Gray's lab to create a new time travel device out of the synthesizer, a horse-drawn carriage, and the remaining components of the broken phone booth. Bill bodies up with Gray, and they start complaining about the theft of their ideas, start to become a most bitter individual. So eventually Ted and Tesla help the downers to accept that creativity breeds excitement, and that there's always something new to discover. However, saying goodbye to Nick and Eli. Billhead begin jumping shakily through the circuits of time, unable to find the point at which they wrote the song. Instead, running into people like Shakespeare, who refutes the claim that he had ghost writers producing his plays. And they see him obsessively writing on every surface he can find, including their faces and clothes. At one point, next they end up in the library of Alexander the Great, who says that there is no crime in using knowledge gained from other sources as long as you use your own ingenuity to. Conker. Alexander is also really into bathing with dogs, which weirds Bill and Ted out. They get out of there as quick as they can. And finally, the dudes meet up with Andy Warhol, who tells them that he made everyday items into pop culture iconography by putting his own unique eye on them. So at Andy Warhol's factory, now feeling totally inspired, Bill and Ted borrow instruments from the Velvet Underground and work to craft a new song. During this time, Overlord, or Overload, Overlord, basically what they are, are failing to come up with songs themselves, which enrages Craig and he fires the rest of the band. And at the press conference where he is about to reveal the song, but he's instead going to blame the delay on his difficult bandmates, Bill and Ted arrive and reveal his evil plot. Finally, face to face... They also recognize Craig as Ted's tag-along neighbor, who is always a total poser. A holographic slideshow reveals Craig's skateboarder phase, his goth phase, his hipster phase, finally his brief run as DJC Craig's, before settling into his rockstar persona after stealing the Wild Stallions demo tape and rising to musical supremacy. The mob tries to kill Craig, but Bill and Ted stop the violence and heal the world with their new song titled Excellent. For which, Rhonda finally brings Eddie Van Halen to play lead guitar for Wild Stallions. And during a long Van Halen guitar solo, Rhonda congratulates the dudes and reveals that she is the one who knocked them off course in order to inspire new creativity, since she'd gotten really tired of hearing her dad constantly playing the ultimate tune her entire life. Now, Bill and Ted have achieved their destiny and get an invitation to join Rufus in retiring to a life of riffs and relaxation as credits roll. So, (laughs)
3: Nikolai Tesla. Tesla figures out how to travel through time. Yeah, he just does it on his own, and then he helps. That's how Bill and Ted now get to travel, or is it because Rhonda shows up?
2: No, yeah, Rhonda doesn't help them after that. It's all up to the ingenuity and working together with Tesla and Gray. Yeah, Yeah. but yeah. So, where do we fall? That which one of our ideas really hits that home in a way we think we can work with? So, Ed, where do you fall? I
0: like mine, guys. (laughs) The thing that is so great about the original Bill and Ted is that there's not really a villain. They're just facing the world, you know? They're facing everyone's doubts about their ability to make this presentation happen. They're facing everyone's doubts that they'll ever amount to anything. They're not facing one specific bad guy. I think anything that gets too caught up in plot doesn't capture the effervescent brilliance and the simple, joyful struggle of being a teenager and having to find a little bit of confidence in your ability to show the world that you're valuable.
3: This is the first time anyone has used effervescent brilliance on our program, so thank you,
1: (laughs) thank
0: you. And yet
2: not
3: to describe any
2: of our pitches. (laughs) Jeremy?
1: I'm leaning Adams because we can get it done. Jeff, yours goes off the premise that it would have been made back in the day unless we recast So I'm going to have to go Adam.
3: And I guess, because again, I I love the time travel thing. So for me, Adam, yours was a little thin on the time travel part. I mean, I know they got lost back in the time, but as far as multiple time things. So that's why I go back and forth between Jeremy and Anne's. Uh, We kind of flushed Anne's out a little bit more already. So uh, that kind of gives it an unfair advantage. Um, Plus it was very, you know, but... Actually, the, the more that I think about it from that perspective is that, like, I might lean more. I think I am going to go with Anne's because uh, I feel like we're putting this out today. It kind of has to be a reboot of sorts. And that's what I feel like Anne's does by being the next chapter after Bill and Ted, what does Rufus do or whatever they're called do now.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a good point. And, you know, uh, Jeremy, I, I have to agree with you. I, I feel like, yeah, Jeff's would be difficult to conceive, although I kind of like the idea but also that it's kind of treading on familiar territory um it felt like it might be a little hard to to bring that to fruition um and i i feel like um and like it's it does make sense because i i too would kind of like to figure out the rufus conundrum and where is where does that all fit in and to jeremy's point about maybe we just actually use it as a title and, and a kick it off point to do that um uh but at the same time i i really uh like the idea of jeremy's uh just because it it feels to me like it's you you kind of can combine everything we were discussing into one and the idea of fix the past to fix the future and have Bill and Ted get back to where they needed to be. We don't kind of have to have another jumping off point. I like the idea of the mystery and that the great people we bring in are great detectives. Although I don't know what real life great detectives there were. I feel like all famous detectives are uh, fictional. <laughs> so right. We, we could have to figure that play one with out. It. Well it almost feel I mean we're we're kind of all I feel like we're we're stuck in this situation since Anne chose to vote for herself. I mean Jeff can we get you to swing your vote? Can you get on board with Cherby's or do you want to get on board with mine? What do you think you can do? Can we
3: so basically you're not up? gonna change the Anne's, is what you're saying. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. I don't know, because last time you you institute your your executive privilege to decide which <laughs> one won as well. So, I don't know. We need to, we need a better, we need like a coin toss or something to decide. But in that case, then I will go with Jeremy's, because again, I did like the time travel. But again, man, that idea when we said Donald Glover and Danny Pudi as the new Bill and Ted. That's
0: fun.
3: And then that was my thought is that was going to be the Renegades. Other than the fact that it would be hard not to like them, if if there was any way to plug them in, then I would be all on board. Okay, so
1: how about how about this? We keep Anne's pitch and, and kind of mesh it at the end of mine. Like, this movie would be the end of the Bill and Ted story. Like, the handoff is going to be the Rufus heading to see Donald Glover and Danny Pudi.
3: That's interesting, yeah. Or the other option that we could do is that we could mesh the two even more, where, because that was my one thought with yours, Jeremy, is that if Bill and Ted don't get along because their past has been changed oh, right. why are they going to work together to fix their own past so what if they need to bring in a new pair <laughs> to fix Bill and Ted so it's kind of a passing the torch thing
2: now let, let me add one more layer to this guys what if it's almost that we if we took Anne's concept of okay there's a new duo that needs help, it needs to fix something. So the Rufus, not George Carlin, but the Rufus sends them on their quest, but their quest messes up Bill and Ted's future and messes up Wild Stallion's destiny. So then it is Jeremy's movie. It gets to that point, and now they have to go back and fix
3: that. Is okay. that too Well and then that's, that's ultimately turning into my movie too. <laughs>
2: It's Talk everybody travel. but you,
3: Adam. We just yours, yours just we just gotta work in overlord somewhere.
1: So rather than the dual layer of the Rufus hierarchy, let's just have Jim Gaffigan come in as the new Rufus, and he would be the one to come down and meet with Danny Pootie and Donald Glover. They would be the A-plot. And our Bill and Ted getting back together is the B-plot.
2: Right. Wait, wait, well, but wait, so so the Donald Glover, the Danny Pudi characters, what was their destiny that was so right. important? Well,
1: what if... That Ian uh, was getting out like, with art, artists or something yeah.
3: a little more abstract? Well, ab- I was thinking, abstract. if since we're talking about the Rufus, what if the new Rufus is, is not very good? And so what if he kind of takes either one, he just kind of like picks the wrong people, or... Maybe he misinterprets what happened with Bill and Ted, and he's like, oh, so our job is to help people with history projects? You guys need to do a history project, right? And so he's just taking people back to the past to do history projects? That could or work. Or, yeah, maybe he have misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. Or and the, then it becomes so, it becomes yeah, very so community oh, you got Napoleon again?
2: Great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it would just make Dan well. Harmon
2: so happy. His seven seasons in a movie, right? He finally gets oh, his movie. It's six, a Dan Harbour production. Seasons in a movie. <laughs> uh, but I feel like, it, I, I mean, this is terrible because it's almost like you're literally doing a parody. Because I'm like, what if they were called Phil and Ed okay, and the new Rufus just fixed it up? is you know,
1: Bill and Ted essentially a parody? And then of the what? sequel is a parody of a parody?
2: What? No, Bill and Ted are original. What were they a parody of? Okay, well,
1: it's that was, kind of, It's a mishmash of parodies, like they're parodying time travel, they're parodying uh, stoner movies, they're parodying the high school just way of life. It's a bunch of different genres just kind of mashed up and thrown in a blender and out pops Bill and Ted.
2: Well, I I think Jeff's brought up a good point earlier, which is, again, this is for a modern audience. So I almost feel like the whole meta concept like I feel like a lot of like a lot of what we were doing maybe was following old formula uh, believing that there is a love and affection for Bill and Ted but I think what Anne's point was is yeah like we need to give it something fresh something new that people can relate to now but I I feel like that meta concept of community and mixing it all in it is almost a parody of the original so it's kind of a reboot but it works in some of the original mythology I feel like that actually could be a good way to go about it so you get the cameos but we don't need to again to ann's point look at these guys that are now in their 40s and 50s (laughs) almost that are still slackers and still haven't gotten it together or whatever they're at you know we just say, this is the new generation, but here's where these guys fit into the plot. Yeah, That's and I do,
0: I mean, I love how cartoonish the movie is and how cartoonish it could be. So to really amp up them still as, and this is going to be super cheesy, but like them as artists, you know, that what it is that Bill and Ted want to be musicians and does graduating high school even matter? And what are they really passionate about? Um you know they're they're not going to be engineers they're not going to be class presidents and go on to be lawyers like they're not and that's, that's still out. a valid choice so who are the today's equivalent of those kids and oh my god they're not youtubers no no um, <laughs> but, like you know, are they graffiti artists that people then have to figure out like, you know, what's their, what are the consequences of their actions and what is their place in history and in the future?
3: Kind of not the direction that we're going, but as we've been talking about this, especially like when you were talking about your pitch, Adam, is that these days, like rock music, is not the music people listen to anymore. And like, if you're a rock band, nobody cares. And so it's it's not that the Wild Stallions stink or they're not together or whatever. It's the fact that like rock music is, it's not that, you know, it's not changing in the world. I mean, Katy Perry is changing the world now.
2: Could be. I mean, and maybe that was part of the problem. Like, cause maybe they're from the in-between. They're not from the absolute future where wild stallions achieve their destiny. So Danny Pudi and Donald Glover are then saying, Oh, they got it wrong. You know, cause you got your childish Gambino with Donald Glover. He's like, this is the music. This right. is the real music. If they got it wrong, we got to go back and help them. And they mess it up by going back and try to get them to do rap instead because you know, whatever, you know, hip hop or some type of melding of styles, you know, maybe Ted's on board with it, but Bill's not. And then they break up and that's where the timeline has its schism and that's what they have to repair or something along those lines.
3: So are they Rufuses?
2: No, I, I, I think they're rogue students of the new Rufus and they get in the time travel machine and go back and mess stuff up because they think they're helping.
1: Well, OK, so the future Rufus was from was like 2641, like way, way, way oh, wow. out, way out in the future. So I would say that our two students would be from like present day.
3: And they're going back because I do think especially like it, seeing with Stranger Things is that if we have them traveling back to the 80s, like people are way into the 80s right now. So yeah. if they go back and we do 80s throwback, even late 80s, early 90s, like I think people are yeah. into that because everybody's always doing the 70s and the 60s and whatever.
2: No, but I feel like although like we got we got a lot of essence of ideas, they're maybe not coalescing, but I think, yes, <laughs> as we've been told. But yeah, ultimately, I feel like it's a good idea to introduce some fresh blood into this. I think it's the way to maybe give new life to the franchise and they're almost like the, you know, the uh, the godfathers of this new style of humor and however it works out, it works out. Maybe it kicks off, you know, the next adventures and we'll see wh- where it takes us. So, and thank you so much for being here. Glad you could join us.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad you discovered me. I'm so glad I ended up being on screen doing that show.
2: And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, book you, bring you on for a project. Where can they find Jan?
0: Uh, they can find me at Stories and Make Believe on Facebook and at Anon on Film at Twitter. And speaking of movies, that get turned into musicals because it's kind of a deep love of mine. Currently I'm working as an assistant director on a version of uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, based on the awesome Australian mid-90s musical as well, at the Celebration Theatre in West Hollywood.
2: Take it's on sale now when is that going up
0: sale now at celebrationtheater.org and uh, it opens on valentine's day runs through may
2: i think i've heard some things is there some interactivity like unto rocky horror with uh, the crowd and the cast
0: a little bit yeah because it's all disco songs so there's a hell of a lot of singing
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. so it'll
0: feel like you're in a nightclub
2: okay thanks again make sure you're back for the next episode just a month into the future we're going to be getting into a three amigos sequel we're going to be talking about a scott pilgrim versus the world sequel but most immediately you can look out for a flash flash ah that's right flash gordon next week it's gonna be a lot of fun and our guest host for that episode is super excited if you follow us on twitter you've already seen the blast that he is having just getting his pitch together at this point so can't wait for you to be here to join us for that but until next time be
3: excellent to each other
1: For listening to this episode of sequel quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media submit your ideas for future episodes to sequel quest pod at gmail.com or ask pod on twitter the films and characters discussed on sequel quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders no copyright infringement is intended this has
3: been a presentation of the retro
1: network